hour here at God's Word Baptist Church on this uh, May 8th, Mother's Day. <clears throat> and uh, we've been talking about in Sunday school um, this um, concept of um, the, the Christian battle, the Christian warfare, Christian conflict, uh, however you want to phrase it. Um, and uh, part of, again, the intent behind this is so that we would understand that the, um, the purpose, uh, if you will, of this, uh, this, this lesson series is so that we would understand how to go about dealing with the internal conflict that we have. And we talked a bit about the external and we're going to talk a little bit more about the external. Talked about how things began, why things are the way they are, uh, where, when this conflict started. Uh, um, we obviously know that it's not going to end for some time. Uh, we've got uh, a few years before that all gets taken care of. But uh, um, what we as Christians do is we continue in the fight. <clears throat> um, we we often get uh, sidelined in this Christian life. Uh, we get uh, taken out of the fight uh, by our own um, by our own sins, our own foolishness that we choose. Um, uh, again, every temptation that comes is not from the devil himself necessarily. Um, sometimes there are things that are there, but I will say that we often tempt ourselves. We often go through, uh, uh, you know, moments in our life where uh, we struggle with uh, various sins or various different things, and uh, one of the the issues that we as Christians have to deal with is uh, that that internal conflict, that battle, and uh, what's going to happen. Because again, if we don't understand what, how to fight uh, our own flesh or fight our own desires, our own will, uh, we're not going to have any clue about how to fight the devil. It's just not going to happen. Uh, we're not going to have any understanding of that. And we're going to see some things that very clearly that God puts here that we need to make sure that we're doing. Some of the changes that came about once we trusted Christ as our Savior and this new creature. And uh, we, we talked a little bit about that uh, last week um, and, again, kind of introduced that. Because, again, we see that God clearly says that all things have become new. We, we we are that new creature. There is a new man in Christ that we have, that we are dealing with. And I want us to turn to the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 7. <clears throat> Romans chapter 7. <clears throat> and then uh, we're going to take a look at a p- couple of passages over in the book of, uh, uh, book of Proverbs. <clears throat> but uh, while you're turning to Romans chapter 7, I'm going to read that verse in verse uh, chapter 13, verse 10 of Proverbs, where it says, Only by pride cometh contention. But with the well-advised is wisdom. And we know that one of the biggest issues that we fight in our day-to-day life is going to be pride. Uh, it's going to be something that is probably going to be our fiercest battle within ourselves. Because we, we look at ourselves in a certain way and uh, we have pride that creeps in and it prevents us from doing what is right and it uh, leads us into sinful behavior and sinful actions. And we'll see some of that as we progress further. Because what we see here in Romans chapter 7 that we kind of talked about in, um, in this passage, but, uh, and I, I kind of want to go back here a, a little bit, um, where in verse uh, 7 of Romans chapter 7, it says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. That's, you know, obviously those things of the law are not for sin. Uh, they're not sinful, but what we see is that they were uh, schoolmasters, as he says over there in uh, the book of Galatians. He says, Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. You know, many times people will, will uh, sin in ignorance. Uh, they won't, you know, they won't know certain things that they're supposed to do, or they won't know uh, that certain things are bad. But it's still sin. I mean, anything that violates God's word is still sin. Uh, whether it's done ignorantly or willingly, there's still sin and trespass that is committed. And here he's talking about that. And he's talking about that, that moment when he is told uh, that uh, what he's done is a sinful action. 
And here he says, uh, but, um, but sin in verse eight, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead, for I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And he makes this very clear about what happens when this occurs. And he says, for sin, taking occasion by the commandment, or excuse me, um, Going back up there, verse 10, he says, In the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taken occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Now, the, the reason I want us to understand what's going on here is we begin to see, as Paul goes through this dissertation about what to do and what not to do, and and, and that conflict that exists later on in this this passage, and he talks about that war that is in his mind, I want us to understand that there are things that are out there that are sinful in nature, and what they do is they bring about death. They bring about certain things into our life that shouldn't be. Uh, sin brings about death of relationships. Sin brings about death of, uh, uh, of a body sometimes. Uh, sin can bring, uh, you know, obviously we know spiritual death. And when we look at this, we see here very clearly that sin has that power and has that capability. But what I want us to see there is right there in that last uh, part in verse 11 where it says, for sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me. Deceived me. Now here's the issue. When we are a new creature in Christ, we have to begin to understand what sin really truly is. Uh, sin is uh, to be looked at, according to the scripture, as exceeding sinful. We have to look at sin as, as gross, as, as the most, you know, disgusting thing that we could possibly think of. And, and, you know, we as human beings, there's certain things that gross people out. There's certain things that, you know, certain people can't stand uh, those things. They have a, an aversion towards them. You know, some people, if you do the whole nail on the chalkboard thing, they just freak out. They can't stand that. Um, that, that noise just creates, a, a, if you will, this, this, uh, uh, if you kind of involuntary reaction of just, you know, cringing and aversion and, 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 and covering their ears and, and just wanting nothing to do with it. There's other things in this life that are just as disgusting. You know, you talk about somebody that goes and works in a waste treatment plant. That, that that's, that's a job. I mean, that's a, that's a job. <laughs> Um, they go and they do that, um, and, uh, they're, they're working in that regards and that's your life. And that's, that's what you have to deal with. And that smell all day long, that's a tough job. It's a tough job. Many of us wouldn't be able to do it. We couldn't even get, we wouldn't be able to get to the gate on our first day. And we, we, we look at that and we think of it and you're like, well, that's kind of disgusting. Well, that's exactly how we have to look at sin. But we have to also look at it in the fact that sin is exceedingly uh, sinful, but it is deceitful as well. And this is where we have to begin to have this desire, this change in us, that we want to know what is deceiving us and what is not. I mean, you know, in this day and age, everybody's talking about truth. We've got to make governmental agencies now for it, and we've got to, you know, put all these uh, these disclaimers, and everybody's got to fact check this and fact check that, and so on and so forth. And it just gets to a point of where you know it, it gets a little ridiculous sometimes. But one thing that I know that is very true is that when we look at Scripture and we look at what uh, sin does, sin is a very deceitful thing. It deceived Eve in the garden. She looked at it, and she looked at the fruit as if it was good. But it wasn't good at all. On the outside, it looked perfect. And that's generally how sin will look. Sin will look like the right choice. Sin will look like the the correct action. Sin will look as if it is a good thing for us. So this is where we have to begin to understand and come to a knowledge of what God's teaching us. And I, I want to point some things out with this. Uh, I, I want us to go over to Proverbs chapter 18 now. Proverbs chapter eight, 18. We talked about this new creature. 
But in Proverbs chapter 18, and in verse 10, there is a great passage of Scripture. I I love this proverb. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Now, I mean, you, you go over to Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, it makes it very clear. Whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, it makes it clear in, in the book of Acts. Uh, there's no name under heaven by which we must be saved except that of Jesus Christ, right? So when we look at this here and we read in verse 10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, we realize that that's where our defense is. If we don't want to be deceived, We have got to start there. Now, obviously, we can see the connotation with salvation. But we can also see the connotation with the name of the Lord very clearly being the Word, as in John chapter 1 and over there in in 1 John chapter 5. We see Jesus Christ is called the Word of God. And if we take that and we look at that and we say the name of the Lord is a strong tower, well, where is our defense then? Just like when we look at the armor of God, every single last one of those elements of the armor of God, including the, the, the attitude and the morale of that soldier, is all found in Scripture. Without Scripture, you can't be a Christian. I mean... Look, I, I'm not talking about being a believer in Jesus Christ and being saved, but if you want to be a Christian that is a follower of Jesus Christ and you say you're a Christian, then you by all means must know what it means to be Christ-like. And we can't assume that. Because the world goes out there and they'll say who Jesus Christ is. I mean, so so this whole big Supreme Court thing that's blowing up and everybody's freaking out because the Supreme Court has been radicalized to the right. And I'm just like, would you just shut up? I'm just getting tired of it <clears throat> because they they're, they're look like they're ruling in favor of that that coach that was praying with his team. And if you read it, everybody's like, you know, it, it makes perfect sense. He wasn't condoning any religion. He wasn't doing anything. He was praying. He didn't treat uh, those that that that, that uh, didn't participate in the prayer any different than any other. He knew where his boundary was, but yet he still got fired. But everybody goes around and they start uh, uh, throwing out that verse, those verses about uh, how it is required for for a Christian to pray in the closet. So I'm sitting there kind of thinking about this for a second. I'm like, so hold on a second. You want people to come out of the closet, but then you want us to go in that closet. Uh, no. <laughs> I understand what private prayer is about, and I understand what Jesus Christ is, is saying. But you can't take that verse and throw that down and say, all prayer must be private. If that's the case, then I know of at least, at least, just right off the top of my head, 20 individuals in Scripture, including Jesus Christ, that violated that commandment. So, obviously, that's not what it's talking about. But that's what the world says. And if the world, and if that's what we receive from the world, and that's all we know is, if you will, what the world knows about Jesus Christ, man, we're doomed. We're, we're not going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, which is why that word becomes that strong tower. That word is the strong tower that we retreat to, that we go to, that our strength is, all of that. It says the righteous runneth to, into it and is safe. There we are in the righteousness of God, in his word, in him. That's where we should be found. That's where we should be found. And that, if, if you will, is where we start with this defensive line and, and start in this Christian battle about how we do it, how we, how we fight. So let's take a look at this for a moment. Here we are in Christ, saved, and we know that we're supposed to be in the Word of God. I will often hear this where people will say, I just don't understand the Bible. Okay. Okay. Let's turn over to a couple passages of Scripture. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The first time I read uh, read my Bible and read it through, I was like, I got a few questions. <laughs> There's some things in here I don't understand. 
I remember that as a young man. Uh, as part of our school, we had a, um, a reading program where we had to read through a certain number of chapters a day uh, to get through for the school year and so on and so forth. Um, and, and that was a requirement for the school. And, and I'll tell you this, you know, uh, pushing to read through the Bible in a year, okay, that's an ambitious goal, but let's put it this way. I would rather somebody actually read two verses and receive something from God and meditate that on that all day long than to read seven chapters and not get a thing. You don't read just to read. This isn't a novel. You don't read to just get through it. You know what you do? You read so you will be changed. You read so that it has an impact in your life. You read so that you will look at something differently. And then you take that and you meditate on it. And then you study it. And then you pray about it. And you pray that how God is going to reveal more of that to you in your life. I mean, there's so much more than to just sit down and just plop it open and read. But I will tell you this, we do need to be reading it. We do need to be in it. We do have to have a desire for it. But as I've said time and time again, there's multiple parts of it. We need to memorize it. We need to meditate on it. We need to study it. We need to, you know, read it to do those things. We have to pray about it. You need to pray when you uh, are beginning that, uh, you know, going into the Word of God. Uh, I will tell you, it will change how you approach it. If you just pray, God, uh, prepare my heart to receive something from your Word today. Not in some trite little prayer, not in some way of just, you know, casually throwing it out there. No, earnestly pray and say, God, I want you to speak to me. I want you to change me today. I want you to show me something in my life. God will do that. And the end result is you'll receive something. So you pray about it, and then afterwards, you need to pray and thank God for it. People always, they'll do that. They'll either not pray when they read it. But pray when you read it, and then pray afterwards, and thank God for what you read. You realize he preserved that, protected it, and inspired it for you? Make it personal. This is a personal book. Have you ever been reading a passage of scripture, and all of a sudden you're just like, oh, ah, excuse me a second, I pull the sword out. <laughs> Because what what happens? God's talking to you. It's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, you know, you, you might actually want to pay attention to that verse. <laughs> That's stuff that we have to begin to understand. You, you need to thank God for that. Thank God for conviction. Thank God for, 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 for a change in your life. Thank God for a different desire. Thank God for the fact that when you do sin, you experience guilt. That overwhelming sense of, man, I just made a massive, colossal mistake. Praise God for it. Could you imagine what life would be if that wasn't there? Ugh. I, I think we're kind of getting that way in the world and society, where they just don't even care anymore. They just don't even care. I mean, it's just running rampant. As a Christian, we should be thankful for these things. Pray afterwards. Thank God for it. You enter into that. Because again, he says pray without ceasing. You want to know what to pray about? There's a couple of things to pray about. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he talks about some of these new things. And I want you to take a look here at verse 9. He says, But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. That is a powerful verse. You can sit there and think about that. And I I I will tell you this. You can sit there and you can focus on the things of the heavens. And you can begin to, to, to try to sit there and fathom a little bit based off of what we see in Scripture about the throne room of God and some other things and sit there and go, uh, you, well, your, your mind's going to short out after a while. Because you can't even begin to fathom. I mean, how do you even fathom eternity? How do you fathom time stopping? That's a, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. But here you see, he's talking about this. Now, again, I, I, I love to take a look at this and, and not only think about the things that we prepare, that are prepared for us, uh, but um, let's ask you this. How about in this life? How about in this life? 
you know, I, I, I've had mental health struggles in my life, um, uh, you know, wrestling with depression and to the point of despair and uh, suicidal thoughts. And I remember one of these things, it was kind of based off of this verse, where, 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 again, the Holy Spirit was using it to teach me and use this verse to kind of talk to me about it and say, you have no idea what I have planned for you. And this is what you want to do? You want to end it? I was like, well, if you put it that way. <laughs> if you put it that way, hey, you know, <clears throat> yeah, things, I, I, no. I had absolutely no idea what God had planned for me. I'll tell you this. Sometimes there's great comfort in that. There's great comfort in not knowing the plan. Because I think if we did know the plan, we might be a little bit like Jonah. Let's get on a boat and get out of here. <laughs> we may not want that. We may look at that and go, I got to do what? Could you imagine if, if, if the plan was given to Job as Job was like, hey, I'd like to have an audience with God why this is happening. Can you imagine if, if God sat down with Job and said, hey, oh, so, hey, here's the situation, Job. Me and the devil were talking and, uh, <laughs> and all that stuff, all this stuff, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wipe out, you know, your family's gonna be wiped out, you're gonna lose everything, your health is gonna be affected, your friends are gonna be, you know, deriding you and think you're full of sin. Job might be like, uh, no, <laughs> can we can we talk about this? I, I I don't like this plan. But here here God says we have no idea the things that God's prepared for us. It hasn't even begun to enter into our heart, and it starts with that love for the Lord. You, you know, when we trust Christ as our Savior, we are expressing that. We're saying, God, I I, I love you. I, I, I'm trusting you for my salvation. I'm trusting you to, to save me from my sins, to forgive me of my sins and give me a home in heaven, to give me the Holy Spirit to teach me and to guide me and to lead me. I'm getting all of these things, you know, Lord, I, I love you for that. And we should, we should declare our love for him on a day to day basis. But, but, but look at this in verse 10. I want you to see something here. It says, but God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. For the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Now, wait a second. He said, all those things, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit for the purpose of instructing you. You're going to receive a new knowledge that not the rest of the world has. Take a look at this as we would go through. Verse 11. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Look, the Holy Spirit's the one that teaches. And I like this, and I like to point this out. Because there will be those guys that run around and they worship a man. They worship a guy in a pulpit. They worship a guy on a big screen. They worship on a guy, you know, a guy that's got a bad comb over, whatever it may be. You know, they can quote unquote heal people and ask them for millions of money, you know, dollars of money, whatever it is. Things like, they, they, they follow a man. They follow the teachings of a man. Here he's talking about what the Holy Spirit teaches, what the Holy Spirit reveals. And that's an important thing. As we go through this, and here he says in verse 12, he says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Here God is giving us all of these things, and he's teaching us, and he's showing us, and he says, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit so that you will understand everything that I'm giving to you in this book. Now look, we, we can spend a lifetime going through this book and never exhaust it. But I guarantee you this, a lot of young Christians, when they start getting into the Word of God, they start seeing more and more things that the Lord shows them that they are given. Can we just, I mean, can we stop for a moment and talk about the providence of God in our lives? I mean, how many of us can declare without a shadow of a doubt that God has provided for them more than once in their lifetime? I mean, if we were to go back and sit and think on those things, man, alive, you know, this little book that's up here that talks about blessings and praises and things like that, that should be filled with those things. What God has done in our life, what God continues to do in our life. 
that's something that we as Christians need to understand and we need to realize. So as we get, we think about this and as we go through this, it, it makes it very clear. They're given to us of God. This knowledge is. Which things, in verse 13, also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now this is the important part. This whole concept of this constant day-to-day battle starts with this. The wrong comparisons. The wrong comparisons. We will often do a, a comparison of things physical to things physical. I mean, he didn't say that in this scripture. As a matter of fact, further on, you know, uh, as he's talking to the church at Corinth, he says comparing ourselves among ourselves is not wise. I, I, I don't go about comparing myself. I mean, let's, let's think about it for a second. This would be ridiculous. You guys know that I can't carry a tune in a bucket. Or if I can carry a tune, it is a single solitary tune that remains in the bottom of the bucket. That's all I have. It's like the lowest note. It's like subhuman. I remember I I went and somebody said, oh, hey, you should should go, uh, you know, uh, sing for the choir. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, hey, I was just, I wanted to please the Lord. And I go, and, 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 and they have us all around in the, the piano, the, the choir director, she's playing the piano, and we're all singing, and she's like, she's like, somebody's off. She's like, hold on a second. So she begins, and she tries to listen, and I'm standing right behind her, and she's like, turns and looks at me. And so she sends me with the, the assistant choir director to go get special... <clears throat> Me and this other guy, and he, he couldn't carry a tune either. <clears throat> but he was teachable, praise the Lord. <clears throat> and I remember, you know, here he is, uh, he, he, he's teaching, and, and he's trying to say, okay, well, we need to find how low and what your register is, and I, I have absolutely no idea what that means. He's like, I, I'm just going to play some notes on the piano, and I want you to try to mimic it by, you know, making the through your, you know, whatever. And he, and he, he does this and, and he, he realizes something and he starts going lower and lower and lower on the piano till he's at the final key and I'm hitting that note. And he's like, that's not human. <laughs> and I'm like, thanks. What does that mean? You're not going to fit in the choir. <laughs> I'm like, so I became manager of the bookstore instead. Yay. <laughs> I can do that. I love books. I love to read. So praise the Lord for that. He, he had better plans for me, right? You know, here I am thinking that I want to do something for the Lord, and the Lord says, That's not, no, you're not doing that. <laughs> you're not doing that. I don't go around comparing myself to singers. We've got some fantastic singers here in this church. We've got some people that have God-given voices that we love to hear. And we need to hear more of that, personally. We need to hear more singing. I need to hear more people that come up. And again, not for the, the, the element of performance, okay? But for the element of just praise, people listening to people praise God. You realize that that is an instruction in Scripture that we as Christians are supposed to do. That when a person comes up and does a special and sings a song like that, that they are teaching you. That's what Scripture says. I mean, we think about this for a second. Now, if I go around and try to compare myself to, to, to people that can sing, Sharon and, and Sharon and, and, and Anna and, and Dan and, and Dale, you know how ridiculous it is to me to compare my piano playing skills to Dale's? You want to hear? No. Nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear that. <clears throat> but you understand, you see how ridiculous that is to compare physical things to physical things. I'm being transparent and I'm using a little humor here to, to communicate that aspect. I can't go around comparing myself like that. Why? Because I'm comparing some physical things with some physical things. Now sometimes what we do is, is we also walk around and we compare physical things to spiritual things. And we get the two mixed up. 
sometimes we, 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 we look at things and what is, we're supposed to be looking at it in a spiritual manner, but we look at it in a physical way. We view it with fleshly eyes rather than through the spirit. A perfect example would be Pentecostalism. They look at it as you've got to have a fervent, frothing feeling. Not trying to be illiterate, to alliterate there, but you know, fervent, frothing feeling in their lives, or otherwise they're not saved. Why? Well, you know what they're doing? They're trying to take something that is physical and they're trying to make it spiritual. Look, I, I, I've said this time and time again, and, 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 I, and I point these things out. We, we get so confused about feelings. And we have the kids sing a song in basic about how, how, uh, how feelings can, can deceive you. They can lie to you, right? And sometimes we have a feeling, and it's not the right feeling. You ever have a gut feeling about something, and then that gut feeling was, like, wrong? Or maybe you didn't have a gut feeling and then something happened and you're like, well, how, how come my gut didn't tell me? Because your gut's not psychic. Your, 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 your gut's not psychic. It's not going to be able to do that. People rely on that. Don't rely on that. Rely on knowledge from the Word of God. That's what we rely on. Not a gut feeling. Now, Now, when we take a look at this, we will often compare those things in that way and look at those physical things. And we'll talk about a feeling involved with it. Now look, sometimes we confuse feelings with an emotion, and, and those are two separate things, okay? I understand the crossover and what we use in modern-day vernacular. I totally get that. But let's talk about emotions as emotions and feelings as feelings. But I will say this. You know, you start looking at things at Scripture. I'll just give a perfect example. It's always at the top of my mind. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's not a feeling. You know what it is? It's a commandment. Again, you, I mean, you go over the book of Matthew where he starts talking to him about, uh, uh, you know, if your brother offends, you know, and, and repents, forgive him. And if he does it seven times in a day and repents, forgive him, right? Praise God for forgiveness. And then the disciples said, increase our faith. And you know what God said? Faith. You don't need more faith to forgive. And then he goes into a dissertation about a servant who's been laboring all day and then has got to go in and prepare food for the master because that's what he's commanded to do. It's not about a feeling. It's what he's supposed to do. So he responds with, increase our faith with, do your duty. Forgive. Oh, even if I don't feel like it? Yep. Even if I'm not, you know, really inclined to do it, I'm sure that that servant, after working in the field all day, didn't want to come inside, prepare dinner. He was probably hungry himself. But no, it's not the way it works. Comes in, he, he after working in the field, prepares food for his master, and after his master's done, he cleans it all up, and then he gets a chance to eat. That's the duty. And doesn't and again, we have to take a look at that light at the Christian life, and sometimes we have to look at it as a duty. A soldier has a duty. A soldier has a duty. You go over there in Ecclesiastes, which we're studying on, on Sunday night, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. And it says, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. That's what we do. Whether we feel like it or not. So let's not compare physical things to spiritual things. It's spiritual with spiritual, according to this passage. And this is where we get messed up. Internally, we just get those things messed up. This is why God's saying, focus on the spiritual teachings. And he says, comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. He says, but the natural man receiveth not the things, in verse 14, back over in 1 Corinthians 2, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, 
Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. You know what one of the most absolutely futile things to watch is to watch an unsaved person try to explain the ministry of Jesus Christ. Or try to explain the Bible. No, they'll approach it from some very atheistic mentality, anti-Christ mentality, um, and, and, and they will approach it in such a way that they, what, will they, what, what do they want to do? They want to discount everything God says. give you a perfect example. I think I told you this the other day. Some guy, I, I saw this video clip and I just about, my jaw hit the floor about some, some pastor. I don't even want to call him that. Some guy, let's just say that, <clears throat> gets up there and he begins to teach that when Lazarus came out of the tomb, that he wasn't coming out of the tomb dead, he was coming out gay. They said that that whole thing about Lazarus dying, that he didn't really die, but when Jesus called him forth, he was telling Lazarus to come out of the closet. I'm like, well, that's blasphemy. That's, that, 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 that's nothing at all. You can't, you, you couldn't, you couldn't fit that in there if you had a nuclear bomb to blast a hole into it. Why? Because it's sinful. That's, that, and, and, and I explain that as the ludicrous nature of somebody that is unregenerate trying to say something about scripture in the Bible. They don't get it. But here you are as a believer and God gives you this. You know what you get to do with this? You get to learn from it. You ever been in a church service and, and, and you know for a fact that the Holy Spirit's talking to you? I've been accused more than once of having cameras in people's homes. I don't. <laughs> you know, that, that, that's what this boils down to. This is, this is God's work, His Word, in your life that you get to understand. Somebody that does not have the Holy Spirit of God because they have not trusted Christ as their Savior and the Holy Spirit isn't dwelling in them and they're not in Christ and Christ isn't in them and they don't have a relationship with the Father and they're not reconciled and they're still an enemy and at enmity with God isn't going to understand this at all. They're not going to understand the need for it. They're not going to understand why we do what we do. They're not going to understand why we want to please the Lord, even if it means that we have to give up what we want. I want you to think about that. Sometimes it means what we have to do. The world, the world doesn't understand that concept. The world wants their will, and they want to do good while they're doing it. But the problem is, is that their will is no good. Because it's selfish. They want to do good so that they can feel good about themselves. And then they come along with some altruistic, you know, gesture that says, well, no, I'm doing it just to be sacrificial. Many times there's a heart motive there that starts with pride. Because they want to be seen a certain way. But here we are looking at this, and it says they can't understand because they have to be spiritually discerned. And if there is no spirit of God, they will never be discerned. The spirit of the world is is just empty. It's void. It's full of sin. And here he says, and this is why it's important, because he says there in verse 14, because they are spiritually discerned. Discernment is a very, very important principle in the Christian conflict. You have to discern about what is right, and as the way that Charles Spurgeon puts it, what is right and what is almost right. And as I always refer, it was right to bring the ark back to Shiloh. It was wrong to bring it back on a cart. It was supposed to be carried. And if you don't want to, what I'm referencing, it's King David over there, and the ark was captured from the Philistines. They're bringing it back, 
and instead of bringing them back the way they're supposed to, carried by four Levites, um, you know, one on each quarter with those staves, they decided to put it on an ark because everybody wanted to have a participation in the party. And the end result was, guess what? Somebody died. And there's David, and he goes and gets mad at God. And then the ark winds up in somebody's house. I was talking about that the other day. Could you imagine that being a kid, and you walk in, and you wake up in the morning, come out, Mom, what's for, why is the ark in the living room? (laughs) Yeah, don't touch it. (laughs) Whatever you do, don't touch it. (laughs) You know, Dad's over there trying to gently drape over this uh, cloth without touching it, you know, and he's like, just don't. And the whole time it's there, they're, they're receiving blessings. Because they were willing to house it. They were willing to deal with the quote-unquote inconvenience of having the ark of God in their home. Taking up space and having to be very careful around it. Man, that would definitely change the attitude in the home. You're about ready to, you know, here's one of the kids about ready to steal, you know, uh, one of the cookies. And he looks over and out of the corner of his eye, he sees the ark. Excuse me. <laughs> he goes and repents in his room, you know. It would be an amazing thing. But hey, look, if you've got the Word of God in your home, and this is being taught at the forefront of it, this is the same kind of blessing. This is the same kind of blessing. Let's not forget that. So here he is, and he says this. He says they have to be spiritually discerned because, again, the world can't discern. They can't discern what is right and what is almost right. They can't discern between right and their left, as he talks about the Ninevites. But here he is in verse 15, he says, But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judge of no man. We as Christians are supposed to judge. And somebody's going to say, well, it says over there, judge not. Okay, again, let's go ahead and start referring to what context in Scripture is. If we go with what the world teaches us about it, we will absolutely live in a progressive state of, of Christian development. And that's not a place where you want to be because progressive Christianity is a farce. It's heresy. It will lead you down to the path of the acceptance and the receiving and the doing of sin. That's all it will lead to. <clears throat> and here he says in verse 16, he says, for with known the mind of the Lord that we may, instru- uh, that we may, that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. The world can't teach us how how Christ thinks. The Holy Spirit can. And that's where the battle rages, as he says over in Romans chapter 7, where he talks about, I find a, 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 you know, a law. And he says he finds that there's a war over his mind, what he's thinking about. And it starts with this war that is within. I want you to go over to the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, not Ecclesiastes, Ezekiel. Ezekiel. <clears throat> And I want you to take a look at Ezekiel chapter 36. Now, the nation of Israel, man, you know, they, they messed up. Let's not kid ourselves into thinking that we're any better than them. <clears throat> we have the same problems that they have. You're like, well, I don't necessarily worship idols. Well, yeah, let's take a look at that, <laughs> you know. Sometimes we do. When people put career over God, well, there you go. When put people, when ch- people put children over God, there you go. Put a spouse over God, there's an idol. Put friends over God, there you go. Hobbies, we start running into problems. But take a look at what he says here to the nation of Israel in Ezekiel chapter 36 and jump down here into, um, uh, oh, let's uh, go ahead and take you to verse 24. He says, For I will take you from the heathen, from among the heathen, and gather you out of all countries, and will bring you into your own land. And he's talking about some prophecy. This has not necessarily happened at this point in time. Just because here we are in May, and May 14th being the uh, celebration of the 74th uh, day of independence for the nation of Israel, does not necessarily mean that this scripture has been fulfilled. Because, by the way, what land they have is a postage stamp. It goes all the way over to the river Euphrates. I think Iraq and Jordan may have some issues with that. And then it goes all the way over to the Nile. And Egypt 
And Saudi Arabia may have some questions about that. We're talking about countries being wiped out as in they no longer exist because they are now under Jewish rule. Anyways, moving on on that point. Here in verse 25, he says, Then I will sprinkle water upon you, and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols, and I and will I cleanse you. Or excuse me, will I cleanse you. A new heart will I give, a new heart also will I give uh, you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and will give you a heart of flesh. Now, again, we take a look at this and we say, well, flesh is not, is not a good thing. Well, let's understand what he's talking about here. He's talking about something that's living. A stone is not a living object. A stone is not a living object. It's a rock. It doesn't move on its own. It doesn't, it doesn't have a mind. It, it can't think. Interesting enough, though, Jesus Christ said that they can sing and they would sing if, if people were silent. But here he is, he's talking about it. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about the hard heart, the rebellious nature. The rebellious nature. You know what God wants to do? God wants to give you, if you will, a fleshy heart in the way of life. One that is soft and sensitive to him. One that is receiving one that is filled with with, with, with a, a life that is given by God and God himself. And this is what he talks about. And doesn't he say he's going to give a new spirit? This is a total change. We see this, he's talking about this with Israel, but also we can see some application in our life. I mean, before we trusted Christ as our Lord and Savior, even if you were at a young age, we were a rebellious little snot. <laughs> some of us still are. You know what? That means that we haven't fully allowed the Lord to work in our life. We should desire this. We should desire to be receptive to him. Because when we begin to look at this, we see that there's a whole ton of changes that occur. And these changes are necessary so that we can be part of this this battle. And as I said, when we first started looking at this, we are going to engage in this fight whether we want to or not. There is no such thing as a non-combatant. There is no conscientious objector. There is no, hey, I'm going to go ahead and sit this fight out uh, because, you know, whatever. No. Once you have trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, the devil will make you a target. Your flesh will not like it, and neither will the world. So we can't fool ourselves and deceive ourselves into thinking that we're not going to be engaged in a conflict. So we should welcome this change. We should welcome this change. You know, here he is, he's talking about, you know, the capacity for understanding these things is changed. We get to know certain things. You know, next week we'll talk a little bit more about knowing the enemy, knowing when to flee, knowing when to resist, knowing uh, when to prevent uh, uh, them getting an advantage, knowing when to uh, um, actually prevent them from getting a foothold into our life. We'll see some things. But what we have to begin to understand is, is we begin to understand that our capacity has changed. Here we are moving from children of darkness to children of light. There's going to be a big change. You know, let's take a look at this. We turn over to First John chapter four. You know, we have we have a huge resource. We have a huge resource. <clears throat> we have a huge resource in understanding that the Holy Spirit is the one that can work in you. Nobody is relegated to being anything other than a child of God and a believer and a Christian if they are truly trusting the Lord. We don't have to live in sin. We don't have to be dictated by sin. We don't have to do any of those things. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit of God in us. We have Jesus Christ in us, and we are in him. So we've got to get this understanding down and realize we, we, we should not be afraid of that battle. Take a look here in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4. He says, Year of God, little children, and have overcome them. Talking about this, if you will, this false uh, prophet and some of these things that are the spirit of the Antichrist. And here he says, 
And again, the greatest part, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Who's more powerful? President Biden? Vladimir? Any of the world leaders? Well, they may be able to imprison your flesh, but they can never take away your uh, the Holy Spirit of God from you. They can never separate you from the love of God, according to Romans chapter 8. So you know what power they have? The exact same power that when when uh, Pilate says to, to Jesus, don't you know I have the power to release you? And he looks at him and he says, you don't have any power except what God gave you. We need to understand that concept. We also need to understand the concept that God is greater than us. We live in this pleasant present world, right? And here we are in this world. And I'll tell you this. If we allow God, if we allow Christ, if we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, because he is greater than you, there will be a change. There will be a change. But you have to allow it. You can have that victory. If, if you let God do the work. And this is where we realize that in this day-to-day battle, we need God, we need Him as the strong tower, we need to flee to Him for refuge, and here we are, we we have this power that we get to draw from. The world doesn't have that. The world doesn't even understand the change that occurs. According to First Peter chapter 4, they look at it very differently. Because again, if you remember, we talked about we're moving from the, the, being a child of the devil to a child of God. There's a huge difference. There's a huge difference. And, and, and this is where we begin to look at what goes on in our life about why these spiritual things become extremely important. The battle is going to be spiritual, so we need to make sure we have a spiritual understanding. This becomes very, very, very key. Because you know what we're doing with this? We're looking at it and we're saying, where's the battlefield? What's the environment? You know, combat is different when you're fighting in, say, in, you know, Arctic conditions versus fighting in the Sahara. Totally different. Fighting in the Sahara is totally different than fighting in the jungles. And urban warfare is totally different than all of them. Things are different. We have to understand and be able to realize we're not fighting a physical battle here. We're fighting a spiritual one. We need to know how to fight that battle. Now, Lord willing, next week we'll take a look a little bit more about some of the knowledge that we get, some of the increase that we have uh, in, in that understanding, that knowledge, our capacity to understand these things begins to increase. So we'll take a look at that, Lord willing, next week. But let's go ahead and dismiss with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. Thank you again for an opportunity, Lord, to just be in your word and to learn of you. Pray, Lord, you continue to bless us uh, this uh, 11 o'clock hour as we seek to please you and honor you with all that we do. This I ask in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.